Greetings, Rare Ones, and welcome to the Rare Birds Emerging Markets Podcast with me, your host, Joanne A. Hamilton. I created this podcast because I was curious to learn about the startup ecosystem in developing countries. The Rare Birds Emerging Markets Podcast is where you will hear me have unique conversations with early stage startup founders, ecosystem builders, innovators, and investors from across emerging markets. It is an opportunity for all of us operating in these countries to learn, share, and exchange experiences beyond our borders. Although complex and varied, there are more similarities than differences in the narrative. If you're new, welcome. Rare ones come here to gain fresh perspective and insight into what is happening on the ground from the people who are creating shifts and driving the action. It is where they can connect through stories which are distinctive, honest, and relatable. Thanks for listening in, and I hope at the end you feel compelled to join our growing global community of Rare One. Hello again, folks, and we are now on Series 9, Education and Adoption Blockchain in Africa. This is the first episode, number 180, with Abbas. So a little bit about Abbas. Abbas has worked on a number of product launches in the U.S., Europe and Middle East. He spent two years in Paris working at Ledger, where he helped to scale operation revenues from 10 to 90 million. He also spent five years in Dubai in a product capacity at companies such as Kareem, Stars Play, and Yahoo. He's now focused on a cars marketplace in his native Somalia called Gawarida. Abbas tells me this is a new time, new challenge, but the same heart and energy to make a difference. So what are you going to hear in this conversation? You will hear Abbas and I discuss his background, career, and the tech landscape in Somalia. From there, we dive deep into the potential areas for blockchain usage in the country. Along the way, we explore the current infrastructure in the country, historical systems, culture, and how he believes these changes can be implemented. See you guys at the end. Welcome, Abbas, to the podcast. Thank you, Joanne. It's a pleasure to be on your podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So, Abbas, before we jump into the conversation of the potential of blockchain technology in Somalia, can you tell us just a little bit about you, uh, where you're from, how you grew up, your life, etc.? Just the, uh, the background story. So... Uh... I'm, uh, I'm from Somalia, um, but I studied abroad uh, for most of my life. And um, I come from a family of business and entrepreneurs in Somalia. So I've been going back and forth throughout my life. So I'm not a full diaspora. Um, and in the last kind of 15, 20 years, I've been working on, uh, on technology and all varieties of technologies in, uh, in California, in London, in Dubai, Paris, uh, and now trying to roll out some uh, some ideas in, in Somalia. Right, right. Now, having looked at your bio, and you just mentioned it briefly, you've had an extensive career. I mean, you've worked for some really big names. I saw Ledger. I saw Kareem, which I, I think Kareem is like uh, similar to Uber or Didi, right? Actually, uh, Uber have acquired them. Oh, so okay. They do Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so Uber have have have, have quite the biggest acquisition uh, of a technology company in the Gulf. Wow! And I also saw Stars Play and Yahoo. So, can you just tell us a little bit about 
your career in, in terms of those companies and what you were doing whilst you were working there? Um, so actually, the way I got into technology was, uh, uh, you know, reading a really good, interesting book about the future uh, when I was kind of uh, studying uh, economics in London. And I was always into computers and hacking and just doing little things, programming on, on the side. And so that's when I decided to really make a change from working in finance to technology. So I started doing evening classes, master's in computer science. And so I graduated and my first job with a French startup. And uh, it was quite different to what was going on at that time. So mm -hmm. I took a massive pay cut and uh, that was an e-commerce price comparison company that uh, basically compared prices, the first one, and it grew very, very rapidly and got acquired by Yahoo five years later. And we exited at uh, almost a, you know, a billion dollars in 2004. Uh, and as they say, the rest is history. Mm. And uh, at Yahoo, you know, I was there for 10 years and it's really, really uh, good to be working at one of the first truly uh, global internet companies in the world. And, and, and there I did a number of product roles and, uh, and, 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 and operational roles, but mainly product. And really, I got to understand um, how, a, you know, the difference between a small startup to a big technology company with deep pockets um, and, uh, and with a variety of uh, vertical product lines, uh, just purely instead of purely playing an e-commerce site. So, so that was quite good. And, um, and I got to learn a lot of people and a lot of things. Um, and then subsequently, I went and did a variety of um, different technologies. And, and you just kind of grow from there. You, you get used to um, changing lanes uh, because technology is very fast moving. So once you, you have the kind of the wired way of doing things, uh, you have ex-colleagues, you read a new technology, you get excited and, and you want to try it. And that's what I've been doing from you know, mapping to local search to on-demand uh, you know, economies such as, uh, you know, taxis and yeah. on-demand videos and then fintech working for Ledger uh, into blockchain technologies and really understanding all about that. And that was really an eye-opener. And obviously today, as you can see from Bitcoin prices and blockchain, how it's impacting the world, uh, you know, it, it is really truly revolutionary. And you know, I knew nothing about this technology seven years ago. Yeah. And today, you know, uh, I'm, I'm in it. So um, what, what will come in the next 10 years? I don't know. But so far, I'm enjoying the ride that, uh, uh, that I did there. Uh, and so it's good. Yeah, definitely exciting. And I mean, Ledger is one of the biggest names now in, in hard wallets. So that's a good place to start off to learn about blockchain. Ledger. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. And uh, you know, this, this, the the whole element about digital currency is security. And once you, you know, uh, do that very, very well, and you and you can build everything else around it. And Ledger uh, has really is the number one 
kind of brand for uh, digital security. Yeah, definitely. And they have a school now. They're educating people. I've been checking out some of their videos online. They're doing some really neat stuff. I guess to get um, those new persons that are going to be onboarding and learning about crypto. So yeah, they're evolving. It's cool. Yeah. Okay. So now I want to talk a little bit about your current entrepreneurial venture, which is, is it Gawardia? Again, if I pronounce that incorrectly. Yeah, yeah Gawardia. Okay. Yes. Okay, yes, cool. Yes. So tell us a little bit about that. So Gawardia is uh, an online marketplace for um uh, uh, that sells cars, uh, you know, tuk-tuks um, and motorcycles. Uh, basically, that whole economy is informal in Somalia, and um, and uh, uh, we want to take it online, and mm. and we want to take it online and, and just push it across. So we charge people for a flat fee to advertise for thirty days. Okay. And we are integrating right now as we speak uh, the local mobile payment. Right. Uh, so people can pay with their mobile payment. So it's called EVC. Okay. Uh, and then Dehab Shield is another big player. And so people for $3, they can advertise their vehicle uh, for 30 days. And we're getting a really good traction. It's taken us a year to get to where we are, but uh, it's going well. And we're actually thinking of maybe even putting tokenized, you know, you know uh, even putting people to, to pay with uh, their digital currency, but that's more of a mm. kind of nice half feature. Nice. And I like that you include the tuk-tuks as well. So it's like all, move, all, all vehicles are included. All yeah, so if you, so actually in Mogadishu now, due to the roadblocks and, uh, uh, the, the, uh, and the and just kind of ability to, to the tuk-tuks can go in and out of everywhere. Right. You see more of the tuk-tuks in the in the streets of Mogadishu than uh, cars. Mm -hmm. um, they help to generate um, income for a lot of young people. Right. Uh, and they give us a freedom to move about. So where before people had to take these kind of you know. Uh, kind of buses where you do it in Kenya or whatever the tuk-tuks kind of give you that freedom for half a dollar to go one or two kilometers from without having to get on a bus or uh, and so forth so it's really really giving the freedom for people to move and obviously generate income for young people and and this is interesting thing aspect is that all of that and when you get on and off you pay with your mobile phone so yeah. the guy has his mobile phone printed on the back of the tuk-tuk and you agree on the, you know, the fare, and and you simply just um, uh, jump on, and you know his mobile is there. And when you're about to get off, you put the number and you pay the money, and the guy he goes beep beep, and then you don't even need to talk. You just get off, and he goes picks up the next person. Yeah, yeah, so. it's it's the same here in China. Uh, we've got tuk tuks in some of the smaller cities, and every tuk-tuk driver has got his his wechat or his alipay code and you just scan it or if it's a taxi you don't even have to scan you just pop out and it comes directly out of your account so yeah it's yeah. very convenient yeah, yeah it, it, exactly so it just shows you the jump from people when from a cash to cashless society so um so yeah it's very very interesting Definitely. So now I want to dive into the potential of blockchain 
in Somalia. But before we go in, can you give us just like a broad overview of the tech landscape generally in Somalia? Because I believe it was back like in 2018, 2019, I'm not sure. I was reading about a Mogadishu tech summit, right? That was like the first ever tech summit. And I remember there was like a lots of raving about that. But I, I don't know beyond that, like what what is tech like in Somalia generally beyond mobile? Um, so in Somalia, we have uh, an interesting landscape. For example, um, we have the equivalent of uh, Uber called the way, which means uh, take me closer. Uh, we have uh, delivery companies that pick up your food and deliver for you. Um, we have a very, very good internet. I mean, it's amazing. I, I go to some places in Africa. I feel like I'm in the dark ages in Somalia for $20 you have an unlimited data connection. So whenever I go there, I pay my $20 and I can hotspot my mobile phone to my laptop and be able to do Zoom, Skype calls and really? complete connectivity. Yeah. Interesting. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Good. Yeah. I didn't know that. And, and obviously the banks, the financial side of the, of, of the society is very well connected online. Okay. Uh, so there's no cash at all. And, and for example, the tuk-tuks, I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. When they, they have to pay like, I think $15 a month for mm -hmm. road tax for, and basically you have a policeman and he has a smartphone and he just puts in the license plate number and boom, he can see if this guy has paid his $15 up to date or not. If not, he gets pulled over and he has to pay these $15. Mm. So uh so there's a lot of elements that people are the government are starting to use technology to drive things mm. um so for example um, when you register your business they just started to do this you do it online so if you want to license your business they're starting mm. to do that mm. so it's just a matter of time before they adopt more things um, purely because we're starting from a white sheet of paper right after 30 years blank of sheet. civil unrest yeah uh, yeah blank sheet um you know you have everything to to choose to you need to do and you choose from what's easiest and so you know once you're connected everything's online yeah i think the uh, the blank sheet the blank canvas that you mentioned can be quite advantageous because you look at a country like rwanda that had its own dark period with war and look at where they are now, right? So it's, it's, it's could be a good place to start from. Yes, I mean, Rwanda, Paul Kagame has done an amazing job in um, attracting, uh, you know, uh, really under his leadership, uh, he's really taken the country, you know, attracting Facebook and all, all these companies and investments and, and he's got a really good plan um, for the people of Rwanda, yeah. and they are doing a really, really good job. Uh, on the contrast, in Somalia, we're still not out of the woods yet. Uh, we have okay. a, a semi kind of official transitional government. We are trying to okay. move towards to more stable. Uh, we have Al Shabaab. So, yeah. but every every administration is getting better and things are moving in the right direction okay. so we're not in the rwanda kind of where 
you know, the, everything has ended and, you know, you are, you're moving to places. Somalia is still in a transition from a failed state to a proper government and yeah. it's close to it right now. I think now is better than any other time in the last 30 years. Okay. And with respect to blockchain, are there any current blockchain regulations in Somalia at the moment? No, no, there is no uh, regulations. Mm-hmm. Uh, not because the government is not interested, but because they have a lot of other challenges and issues to solve, right? Right, right. I mean, if you think about it, there's a lot of uh, challenges there. Yeah. Um, but for example, the Ministry of Finance is really, the minister there is doing a really, really good job. And, you know, in, if they need to adopt that, they will do it at the right time. But right now, they are focused on so many other uh, challenges. Yeah, I wanted to talk about the potential, for example, of um, blockchain remittances in Somalia. And the reason why I'm bringing that up is because I learned about uh, this system in Somalia, uh, Hawalas. Is it the Hawalas system or something like that? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Can you speak to that a little bit? So Hawala system is uh, informal way of uh, sending money. It's used in Somalia and the Middle East, all the way up to Afghanistan. Mm. Um, and, you know, it goes back a few hundred years, an informal way of, of sending money through trust and, 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 and personal kind of uh, knowledgeing and so forth. So, and it works very, very well. Um, but Somalia now has moved from Hawala to much more automated. And why is that? Mm-hmm. Because uh, since 9-11, uh, the West have put a lot of pressure because Hawala is not really traceable, right? And right. so it's abuse, it's open to AML, anti-money laundering. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Americans, the British and other uh, institutions have put pressure on these entities that really were agents who transfer money to you to, to, to establish much more traceable. So now you have to provide your passport, uh, they connect you to the mobile phone, and now you get an SMS uh, when the money has been collected. So now they've put a layer of technology and tracking, and then you have an account, you can deposit the money, you mm. can transfer. So. It started during after the during the civil war as a means just to remittance money from uh, abroad to the people in Somalia to now being in an ecosystem within the economy right. where you pay goods and uh, you save and you borrow and so they build a whole kind of financial systems around it yeah. and so the telecoms and the money transfers have now become banks. Mm-hmm. And they're now an integral part of society, and they're very, very well funded because, you know, it's you know 1.5 billion dollars. Uh, I don't remember the last uh, how much, but uh, you know, the, a lot of money goes through these, uh, you know, hawalas, but now much more modernized and automated through handling money. Mm. Yeah, because my, when I was reading about it, I think what I read was that. The Hawala system is actually much more popular and well used than the traditional banking system, at least at the time. Um, so, yeah, so the traditional banking system did not exist for a number of years because it just 
disappeared, right? And yeah, yeah. You you need governments to manage SWIFT payments, right? So right, yeah. SWIFT is is organizations that have intergovernmental agreement because if America, let's say, uh, puts a sanction on you, the first point they just call us SWIFT, right? And they just yeah. say, okay, don't this country can no longer send money or this person and a SWIFT it is obliged to do what the swift members tell them to do hawala mm. you know it's no such things so but what's happening right now is we're having uh the connectivity of somalia to the rest of the world so um for example um i know ibs bank which is mm -hmm. uh, one of the big banks in mogadishu has now started to do money transfers for businesses because it's becoming harder if you want to import goods from China, for example. Mm. So you need to have your money going from your account to, you know, a Chinese bank. And you cannot do that with Hawala. Right, <laughs> okay? right. So yeah. you, previously, you would send that to another Somali guy. The Somali guy would walk and make the payment mm -hmm. to that uh, Chinese bank. Uh, bank uh, business bank right yeah but right now ibs is now allowing uh businesses to make payments to um from business account to business account and then it's being used by small to medium to large size businesses to interact with the you know for business and various other means so right now the connection is starting with the old-fashioned banks uh, but not for mainly for consumer banking, but mainly starting with business and then more wealthier people and so forth. So we are seeing the kind of patching up of the traditional banking happening. Right. Do you think this could be an area where um, there could be a potential in blockchain? I mean, this whole the system, the Hawala system, and, and like you said, banking, which hasn't worked. Again, going back to what you said about having a a clean canvas. Do you think this is where potentially uh, the blockchain could be implemented, especially for remittances, for example, because Somalia has a massive diaspora, right? Yeah, yeah. So absolutely. So um, for me, we are already kind of doing a digital currency in the sense that yeah. uh, people pay through mobile phones. They had they hardly see cash, right? Yeah. You you hardly see cash. So. So people to move that to a digital currency is not a big issue. Yeah. I think it requires at the government level mm. and uh, and the private sector. So, and I think it's mainly the government to take the lead on this one, um, yeah. where um, they, you know, we will build some kind of digital currency um, and then that currency um, will become kind of, uh, the currency people to use. Now, in Somalia today, we use the US dollar. Mm. People don't even look at the Somali uh, shilling at all. So, wow. so if the government was to say, okay, great, we're going to introduce a fixed allocated blocks, just like Bitcoin, mm -hmm. and to say, okay, great, and it's independent of government manipulation. So uh, the, the bad things uh, developing countries are known for, like printing money and all of that goes yeah. out of the window. So you, you build this uh, and you let it go and it's in, 
independent of government manipulation or administrative of various administrative uh, administration changes, mm -hmm. and it, it, it is uh, convertible to fiat, mainly US or Euro, and, and then people start to use that, I think would be very, very successful uh, and easily adopted because people are already using mobile phones to pay for the, uh, everything. So digital currency is easier to adopt. Transfer happens today from one person to another with no commission, no fees. Everything is free. So with digital currency, you know, you will not have a middleman taking a one, two percent cut of all the transactions. So people are already used to that. So they will accept it. And, and the banks are at early stages. So you will not have them lobbying government to slow down uh, digital currency adoption, right? What's happening in the West or in the established countries is that you have the new technology and you have the old people who have business models built around uh, you know, old currency and they want that to continue to survive. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, if you go to digital currency, you don't need to have a bulky banking system that charges you every little thing they do. If I transfer money from my country to you to that, you know, why do I need to charge you 4%? Why do you need to wait four days? You can get instantly your money and and, and, and so forth. And so, um, so Somalia has a very good chance. It's just that the, I think when the government is ready for it and, and they have a good plan, I think it will be a successful um, launch of it. Yeah, I read somewhere that Somalia has the most active mobile money market. Absolutely. I, I, yes. I had no idea that, that I didn't know anything about that. I was really surprised. I think the transactions are like close to 2.5 billion or something like that. Like it's a lot of money. Yeah. Being moved. Yeah. 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 And, and, and once the government adopts digital currency, then you have things like revenue collection, right? You can increase your tax base because all of a sudden the government is able to uh you know imagine you have a business and you're given mm -hmm. an id and then every time you have a sales you know you, you do value added tax the government can collect that immediately right so uh, a country that is very poor that is dependent on on aid and support from mainly because they don't collect taxes right mm -hmm. in somalia right now the government does a lot of tax collection, at, let's say at the port, people when things are being imported because you can capture those goods easily, right? Mm -hmm. But when people buy and sell within the city, it's very hard to do the revenue collection, right? Um, if you own a property and you got to pay tax on that, very hard to collect. Uh, service is very hard to collect. But once you have a digital currency and every business is registered, and every transaction is going through mobile or digital currency, the government then is able to collect a small fee for every transaction and increase the tax base and, and become independent and you know, deal with wider crisis where right now the government budget is, 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 is supported a lot by um, uh, aid and international donors, which mm. is not good for uh, you know, getting doing your own policies and being you know, independent of 
of uh, foreign influence. Right. Do you think, or do you believe rather, that something like, say, a bit a Bitcoin payments app would work in Somalia, and completely replace mobile money? Do you think that would be a possibility in the future? Yes. Yes. Why not? Uh, once, absolutely. People, the moment people understand, and they then you have the bit of the trust. Mm -hmm. uh, it should work. The other element is um, the current mobile payments work very, very well on featured phones, right? Mm. On the old Nokia phones. So you still have a quite considerable part of the population that uses featured phones. So mm -hmm. they don't have a smartphone. Okay. So you need to make sure that whatever you build is able to work on a very simple phone without a smartphone that might require biometric or whatever. Right. So it's still, because right now, most of the things you put a five digit code and you know, you, you four digit code and off you go, right? right? It's a very simple SMS with a security layer on it and it works, it's OTP and it works. Mm, interesting. And so you can't tell us say about any particular use cases at the moment, but could you tell us where you think best the Somali, for example, government, as you said, it would have to be pushed by the government, would be able to best implement the blockchain? Would it be, for example, in voting or in, in logistics or healthcare or insurance or any of those sectors? I think uh, verification of identity, it is the biggest win. It's the lowest hanging fruit. Okay. Um, why is that? Uh, because Somalia right now is trying to get out of uh, 30 years of um, failed state. Mm -hmm. And the current government is not based on one man, one vote. It's based on a formula called 4.5. And that is a temporary way before you can get to one man, one vote. And that is basically based on the four main clans who select the MPs and those MPs vote for the president, yeah. which means that it's really open to abuse because all you gotta do is buy your, potentially, you know, buy your, if you have enough money, you can buy the vote or the people don't actually vote, right? It is the clan elders uh, and sub-clans then who would nominate someone to be a member of parliament and that person would then will vote on behalf of the people that represent the president of Somalia. Okay. And this is right now what's causing a very big problem right now. We are where the, the current president's mandate has ended and, and there's a big argument. And what should have happened was that they should have had one man, one vote and there's a lot of other politics in it. So imagine that you had verification of ID identities for every man, woman, and child in Somalia. It means mm -hmm. all of a sudden you can have elections. You would no longer have uh, elderly clans who might not be in the overall interest of reflecting the young vote, you know, the young people's voice, because in Somalia, 75% of the population is less than 27 years old. Yep. Okay. Yeah. People are less and less thinking in clan ways, but they're thinking 
national level and they might want to vote for someone who they like and so the old ways whilst it's a tradition might not be the best way going forward mm. so if you had a verification of ids based on blockchain and then that removes fraud and clarity you can bring in a better elections and this would make things a lot easier and then that on top of that that will bring security because at the moment in Somalia if you have a checkpoint in Mogadishu because of al-shabab and you know social uh, some you know bombings and whatever it is and, and if you had ability to check everyone who they are at the checkpoints then you eliminate some of the bad apples so you do that and yeah. then once you have that then you can access government services so could you imagine for example a big part of somalia up until recently was the corruption of paying salaries uh, that um you know you had some ghost employees and mm -hmm. if everyone has a blockchain that blockchain is connected to a bank account and and then your salary gets paid so we know you know where that money is it's a trace right yeah. Right now, the government has gotten much better. They've eliminated uh, the wastage of salaries. Uh, it's much, much better, but it's still a long way to go. They yeah. started with the military. They started with the ministerial levels. They started with the government civil servants, but they still got a long way to go. Um, you know, you have teachers, you have street cleaners, you have, I mean, the government is so much involved in the uh, in, in the economy that uh, making sure that every dollar is spent properly and goes to the right person is critical. Uh, and then finally, you know, we have a lot of IDPs, internally displaced people. Okay. And, and at the moment, you know, how do you get aid to those people? Uh, they're in camps and then maybe it's open to abuse yeah. by, you know, middlemen. And imagine that you can get to the poor, you know, mother and her two children. She can get her aid directly to her uh, through um, blockchain and through her identity. And she can spend that on vital food and shelter and everything else she needs for every day. So it's, you know, so once you start with the verification of identity, really you have a lot of knock-on effects even before you go to digital currency mm. i think that is the most important thing you can do uh, in, in the case of somalia that will really change the landscape of the country uh, where things would take 10 15 years with blockchain i think it can take five years or four years if implemented really really smartly and if it rolled out really 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 quickly mm -hmm. and fully integrated um it, it it can work and make you know the the development process might less uh, more timely and less painful so what would it take for this to happen is it just a matter of does the government need to have like some kind of tech person on board to advise them Will they have to be pushed from the tech entrepreneurs in the country? What would it take for this to happen? Because based on what you're saying, there is a lot of potential, but it's it's it, it nothing's in motion at the moment. I think first it will take uh, a presentation to the right decision makers. Okay. Okay. So yeah, the people at the very top explaining to them about blockchain and 
how it can really change uh, yeah. the future of the country. And then once you have that, then you need to make sure that um, that contract is awarded to the right people and they're mm. given the right tools and money and independence to launch that. Because even though you might have the very top layer agree to it, there is so many other layers that would be obstacles to you. And so it needs to be really run in a small team with a considerable uh, mandate and uh, they have the right funding. And, and if I was them, I would be doing one problem at a time. So mm. I would be saying, you know, okay, great. You know, the next six, seven months, we're just going to focus on one problem and we will fix that proof of concept. Boom, roll it out. We test it on one city. And if it works, we move out and then, you know, we, and then we focus on the next problem and, and so forth. So I, they need to be thinking like a startup, yeah. not like a government project. If it becomes a government project, it's doomed to overrun, to take a long time. And, 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 and politician, um, and, you know, in, uh, changing strategy is very high on the list. Yeah, I think that's how Estonia got to where they are today. They it run the country like a startup, right? I mean, I know Estonia is yeah. a small country in Europe, but I always use them as this example of how you can build a nation like a startup. Um, listening to what you just said, something that sprang to my mind is you can countries like Somalia who are interested in it or potentially you know interested in this kind of transition can learn from the failures of other governments, right? Because if we look around the world, we see there are a lot of governments particularly trying to ban crypto. That's not working out too well. So I think you can also learn from the mistakes of other countries who, who haven't, I guess, like you said, really have anybody to explain to them the underlying technology, which is blockchain, so that there isn't this fear of, okay, this thing is going to come and take over and we can't control it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, and the good thing about Somalia is that, um, you know, the banks are not powerful, or the traditional right. banks don't exist. Right. The government doesn't have their own currency, so we're not attached. You know, we've been using the dollar for the last 30 years. People have been making mobile payments. Uh, the population is very young, so they're tech savvy, and anything that makes their life easy, they want it. Yeah. So, you know, we, we have all the... The right signals. Yeah. You just need to have uh, the right decisions and the right commitment, and 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 and, and you know, and, and the country can really blossom. It can Definitely. really be in a different place yeah. in the next ten years. Well, I hope it does in our lifetime. And final question I have for you: You have been involved in. You have so much experience. You've been involved in so many things. You're a serial entrepreneur. What can you share with us? What lessons from everything that you've done? Um, you know that our audience are all um, in emerging markets, all in early stages of their businesses. So what uh, lessons would you like to share with us or words of advice as we journey along? Um, boy, um, I think the one thing I would say is, 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 is that, um, Hard work and, and, and education pays off in the long run. Mm. 
yeah and 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 stay stay fast on 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 learning or doing something really really well so in my case um i stuck to technology and i do everything around technology mm. and i worked really hard and i studied and i'm keeping abreast of the developments of technology right so if you're passionate about making coffee uh then you know learn everything about it believe in it stick to it and you know eventually you'll you'll get so good you become an expert at it um in places in a developing countries uh the opportunities is limitless um Mm. there's opportunities everywhere purely at the stage of development um uh so for example i'm about to launch a motorcycle business in somalia wow next two months uh, building designing our own motorcycles Uh, if i was to do that in france or uh, in the uk you know it's it's done i mean you know you already have market players the market is big and you know it's very hard for you to bring unless you bring in electric motorcycles and very very niche or whatever you know it's so hard but in a developing country, like in the case of Somalia, what I'm looking to do, you know, there are small players, but still a lot of room for someone to come in and do their own ideas. And, 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 and you have a very good chance of success. So uh, the other thing is that, you know, in the, if you focus and work hard and do whatever you are doing that you're passionate about, the opportunities in your country, it's great. You don't need to go to the West. You don't need to go... Mm. uh to china china or whatever. <laughs> yeah <laughs> that that is the next big thing that's coming up apparently yeah. uh but you know you can learn from them you can look no, at how they absolutely. do things and there's a lot locally there's a but lot you know the days learn. of now you're getting a reverse migration right so you mm-hmm. don't need to immigrate to and live in america for 20 years yeah so if you're nigerian you're far better off staying in nigeria mm. and trying to do some really funky stuff in nigeria yeah, uh, because the world is so small now, it's very well connected. You can raise money, you can do your ideas. Mm. Governments are becoming more um, business friendly. Uh, yeah. The population is growing. African are becoming more urbanized, and so you have a very good chance in your backyard. And that's why, for example, I'm going and spending a lot of time in Africa for the last yeah. three years. Yeah, purely because I feel that the the wind of opportunities is, 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 is very, very strong. Yeah. And now, but nevertheless, you have a lot of problems, a lot of barriers. You know, you have to get through lack of uh, legislation, uh, you know, security issues, <laughs> you know, all of that. But you don't let that stop you because if you really, truly believe in it, you know, it, you, you can make it uh, work for you. And by doing that, you become part of making the, your, your, your country, your economy, your people better because you're bringing in something that makes people's lives better and easier. And if you do that, you're part of the whole ecosystem and upwardly lifting. Yeah. And ultimately, there is no place like home, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, Despite yes, all the challenges. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, it's, it's good that when I see the sunrise and sunset in the mornings and then I go, to, I always go to the beach on my last Friday before I come back. Yes. And I always say to myself, you know, this white sand, uh, this is so beautiful. 
Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the food is fresh and everything. So it's no place like home. Uh, and we need to take care of it as well. So that's another thing. You know, we yeah. just need to make sure that uh, we do the right type of development, um, sustainable development that works well. Absolutely. This was such a brilliant conversation. You are my first guest from Somalia. Thank you so much. I have been wanting to get a guest from Somalia on the podcast for such a long time. I'm so grateful that you came on and you spoke with us. And this is a really unique conversation in this series because everybody else has been talking about how blockchain is currently being used. But Somalia is a country where there's a lot of potential and there's a lot of other countries with potential too. So this is a really important conversation in this series. So people can see that there's a lot of possibility. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and thank you uh, for reaching out and, and, uh, and, and being the first uh, Somali that you spoke to, hopefully yeah. not the last. No, and, not the last uh, on the podcast. And, I hope not. And, 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 and we hopefully we can have a chat about uh, uh, when there's a really... Uh, a sizable blockchain implementation in Somalia, how that's impacting the people of Somalia and the world. Definitely. And at that point, the conversation will probably be about which blockchain is that you're using. And that will be even more exciting. Exactly. Which actual blockchain. Exactly. Great. Well, yeah. until next time, folks. Bye for now. Bye. That's it, folks. We've arrived at the end. If you enjoyed this conversation, please share it with a friend and write a review so that we can continue to reach others. Please make sure that you read through the show notes to get Abbas's complete bio as well as to find his contact details. Don't forget to subscribe to the weekly news and newsletter and visit the website at www.rarebirdshq.com. I'll see you next week for episode number 181. Bye for now.